Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about allergies. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. All right, this time we're going to talk about a topic that affected me more than it affected you, but it affects a lot of people, and that has to do with allergies. So let's start off with a simple, basic explanation for what allergies are. Well, allergies are basically overreactions of your immune system to things that are typically harmless to most people. And the things which cause these reactions are called allergens, and they can include food, pollen, dust mites, mold, animal hair and dander, insect bites, and medicines. Okay. And it's estimated about 20% or basically over 50 million Americans suffer from allergies. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. All right. So then what are the main categories of allergies? There's like three main categories and then there's miscellaneous ones. So I'll start with food first. Okay. So you pretty much can be allergic to any type of food. And milk is a very common one. I was allergic to this when I was a kid, if you recall. Yeah. There's two milk proteins that many people are allergic to, and those are casein and whey. And, you know, milk allergy is a true food allergy caused by an allergic reaction to any or all of the milk proteins, including casein or whey. Right. And, you know, some people also have difficulty with the milk sugar called lactose, and mm-hmm. they have what's called lactose intolerance. But this is different from an allergy and is classified as a non-immune reaction since it's caused by a deficiency of an enzyme called lactase, which is needed to break down lactose. So it's not really an allergy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, because in the plant paradox, one of the things that was discussed was the type of milk that people have problems with and having to do with lectins. And it has to do with the type of cow it comes from. So I wonder how much that actually relates to milk allergies too. Good question. Definitely has to do with inflammation and inflammation is something that occurs when you have an allergy. So it's a good question. Yeah. So that could be something, somebody has milk allergies, they might consider in checking into that, the different types of milk that you can get that don't have lectin. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Well then there's other common food allergens like eggs, wheat, nuts, as well as peanuts, which along with cashews are actually legumes, not Mm -hmm. nuts. Right. Fish, shellfish, soy, nightshade vegetables, and sulfites, which are sulfur-based compounds that may occur naturally or may be added to food as an enhancer and preservative. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get on to the second category, and that's respiratory allergies. Okay. And 
As a group, respiratory allergic disease is now the most common chronic disease amongst adolescents and young adults. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't know that. I found that out this week. Mm-hmm. So there's different categories of this. So let's start with seasonal allergies. They can be any or a combination of all four seasons' unique allergies. So for example, it's now summertime, and summer allergies are usually triggered by pollen from grasses and weeds. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, ragweed, mold, and dust mites are the biggest allergy triggers. Right. And since people spend more time inside during the winter, especially up north, those who have indoor allergies such as mold and dust mites often notice allergy symptoms more during the wintertime. Right. And then the worst springtime offender is oak pollen. Uh, it's, the reason is, is oak pollen spreads through the air for about six weeks, sometimes as much as eight weeks, whereas the rest of the trees pollinate over just a one to two week period and then they're gone. Mm. Yeah, me, I always had the most problem with the month of May and the month of September. And I'm pretty sure September was when ragweed dropped. I can't remember what it was in May, but it was pretty consistent from year to year. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's, you know, continuing on the respiratory allergies, there's allergic asthma. And again, that's one of the seven categories of asthma that we covered in the asthma podcast not long ago, number 33. Right. And some of the specific respiratory allergens are pollen, mold, dust, and animal hair and dander. Okay. And then finally, there's hay fever. This is also known as allergic rhinitis, and it's actually the most common allergy affecting approximately 35 million Americans. Hmm. That's like 10% or more of the population. That's right. And that's primarily due to allergens to pollen and mold spores from plants and trees. Hmm. All right, let's move on to skin allergies. Okay. So let's talk about eczema first. This is named for a group of conditions that cause the skin to become red, itchy, and inflamed. Mm -hmm. And it's very common, affecting more than 30 million Americans. Wow. Yeah, two of the most common forms of eczema are atopic dermatitis and contact dermatitis. So I thought I'd go over these. Okay. Atopic dermatitis is chronic and inflammatory and is due to the immune system overreacting to an allergen or irritant either inside or outside the body. Okay. And it usually begins in childhood, often in the first six months of life. We'll look at the symptomatic differences between this and contact dermatitis a little bit later. All right. So just briefly summarizing contact dermatitis, this happens when the skin touches irritating substances or allergens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it usually appears on the hands, but there's other parts of the body that, that can touch the irritant or allergen and have the same reaction. Right. Okay. And then, of course, you know, there's hives, which people get from various sources. Like poison ivy and things like that. Right. So, yeah, poison ivy, oak, and sumac are common sources. And other skin allergen sources include insect bites, of course. Mm-hmm. The sun, I mean, some people burn very easily and they can develop exaggerated skin reactions to sunlight. So some people are actually allergic to too much sun exposure. I got that. When I would go out, it wouldn't be that my skin would necessarily get red. It would be like a skin reaction, like red bumps up and down my arms. Mm -hmm. I've had uh, that too. Yeah. More so than just it turning red. Right. And of course, cosmetics can cause skin problems. It's usually due to ingredients like fragrances and preservatives. Mm -hmm. And then other things that can cause skin problems include nickel and latex. Mm. Yeah. 
Now, under the miscellaneous category, let's start with drugs. And two of the most common are aspirin and penicillin. Yep. I got the penicillin one. Me too. And then, of course, I talked about the codeine allergy in our detoxification podcast. Right. That one episode that I took at that one time. Another miscellaneous one is allergic conjunctivitis, also known as pink eye. Ah. Yeah. And this is inflammation of the tissue on the inside of the eyelid that keeps the eyeball and the eyelid moist. Mm-hmm. And this can be triggered by contact with substances such as shampoo, cosmetics, dirt, smoke, pool chlorine, or other various allergens. Hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, there's a category unto itself called chemical sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same as an allergic reaction, but rather the inability of the affected person to tolerate environmental chemicals, such as pesticides, solvent fumes, perfumes, and other air contaminants. So there is an actual difference between allergies and chemical sensitivities. Okay. So then how does someone develop allergies? Well, you develop allergies when your immune system identifies something as harmful, even though it isn't. And then it attacks it as if it was an infection by producing antibodies, specifically IgE antibodies. Okay. In general, antibodies as a group are like the hall monitors at a school. What they do is they roam the bloodstream looking for troublemakers. Mm -hmm. And in this case, they look for foreign substances that aren't supposed to be there, such as bacteria and viruses. Right. Now, since there's hundreds of substances in the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, and things that we touch, our body has to constantly discriminate what is harmful and what is not. Correct. And so it can get overwhelmed and start to classify foreign substances that should not be considered harmful as harmful and create a chain reaction, specifically sending antibodies to attack them, Mm -hmm. which then attach to and trigger a specific type of white blood cell called a mast cell which then releases irritating chemicals like histamines, causing your tissue to swell as well as have inflammation and other allergy symptoms. So that's the whole process right there. Okay. Now that we know what seems to cause allergies, what are the most common symptoms that people will experience from allergies? Well, the most common allergy, again, is hay fever. And its typical symptoms include runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose and throat. Mm -hmm. All types of eczema cause itching and redness of the skin, but some may also cause your skin to blister, weep, or peel. And I wanted to now go over the difference between those two types, the atopic dermatitis and contact dermatitis. Okay. So atopic dermatitis includes dry, scaly skin, cracks behind the ears. You tend to get a rash on the cheeks, arms, and legs, as well as open, crusted, or weepy sores, usually during flare-ups. Okay. And of course, you know, there's itching and redness like all other types of eczema. So contact dermatitis usually includes redness and rash, you know, just like atomic, atopic dermatitis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these blisters that can weep or crust over, but it also includes burning or swelling. So that's the big difference is you'll tend to have burning skin when you have contact dermatitis because you've contacted something that irritates the skin. Okay. So if we look at hives, they cause an outbreak of swollen, pale red bumps, patches, or welts on the skin that appear suddenly. Mm -hmm. Insect bites tend to cause pain, swelling, and itching around the sting. Right. And the most common allergic symptoms associated with food are itching in the mouth and throat, hives, stomach cramps, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Hmm. Now, this one, everybody listen up on this one. This was really important. A latex allergy can cause symptoms like 
allergic dermatitis, which again is itchy skin and rashes, mm -hmm. but it, it can also cause anaphylaxis, which is the most dangerous allergic reaction since it can cause death unless people are treated quickly. Wow. And in addition to latex, other substances that can cause this include insect bites and medications, as well as foods, which are actually the most common cause of anaphylaxis, believe it or not. Yes. And just so the listeners know, we do have an episode on anaphylactic shock scheduled for October. Wow. Yeah. Good call on that. Mm -hmm. And so the most common foods that can cause uh, anaphylactic shock include peanuts, tree nuts, fish, shellfish, and milk. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the other things that can cause anaphylaxis, one of them is tetanus because I experienced that when I was about 18 months old and had to have uh, adrenaline shots directly into my heart to keep me from, you know, becoming a zombie or something. Wow. Yes. You I'm knew about that, that, didn't you? No, I'm glad I missed that. I wasn't even born yet. No, but you knew that happened, right? I, yes. Yeah, you told me. Yep. Anyway, we can get into that more in the anaphylactic shock episode. All right. So those are some of the symptoms that people experience. What are the most common medical treatments for allergy symptoms? All right. There's three primary types of treatments. The first is simply avoidance of allergens. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is a li little easier to do with foods once you know which ones you're allergic to. It is. But the tough thing about it is, you know, I've noticed this on some things recently where you look at the labels and it says that they can't guarantee that it's free of allergens because they share equipment with other people. I saw this on something just yesterday, I believe. You can avoid it, but you really have to be careful because of that type of situation. It might not be in what you're eating, but it might have some of it in it by accident because of sharing equipment. Yep. So always read the labels because they, they pretty much have to say if the equipment has been shared, whether it's a supplement or a packaged food. Correct. Yeah. So if it's an airborne allergy, then avoiding environmental substances can be a little tougher, obviously. True. You know, if it's due to pets, you may have to find another home for them, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. If it's due to chemicals, then you just have to identify and replace with hypoallergenic chemicals. Mm -hmm. If it's due to dust, then you just need to dust and clean on a regular basis. Right. And if it's due to grass or tree pollen, then you might need to stay indoors more often. Mm -hmm. You can also reduce your symptoms to airborne allergens by washing out your nose daily. And you can do this by either using a nasal saline rinse, using mm -hmm. a squeeze bottle or a neti pot. A what? A neti pot. You never heard of a neti pot? No. <laughs> N-E-T-I pot, not, not N-E-D-D-I pot. Yeah. <laughs> so explain what that is. Oh, geez. Um, you know, when people have, you know, colds and, and, and you know, their, their sinuses are clogged up, it's something that you buy in a drugstore and you put um, a little bit of saline solution and you literally irrigate your nose with this and it flushes it out. Works quite nicely, actually. Okay. Yeah. So, by the way, the best way to identify if you're allergic to something, whether it's a food or airborne substance, is to have a blood test, which determines how many specific antibodies you're producing for each type of substance tested, whether it's a food or an airborne substance. Okay. So, it can actually tell you if you have a mild, moderate, or severe allergy. Yeah. And one lab that I've used is called Genova Diagnostics, which used to be the Great Smokies lab. You know, the old school skin prick test is less expensive and more convenient since you'll know right away if you have an allergic reaction. 
but it's definitely not as accurate. And there is a small chance that you can have an anaphylactic reaction to a substance that's tested. Oh, that's not good. No, so I'm not a big fan of that one. Mm-hmm. It's pretty uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. there are a number of medications, both over the counter and prescribed, which don't eliminate allergies, but relieve allergy symptoms. And so I thought I'd go over those. Okay. So let's start with nasal corticosteroid sprays. Uh, What they do is they actually reduce nasal swelling. However, there's a long list of potential side effects with the most common being dryness, burning, or stinging inside the nose and irritation of the throat. Hmm. Okay. And then, of course, the big one is the antihistamines. These block the inflammatory chemical histamine, which causes many of the common allergy symptoms like sneezing, itching, runny nose, and hives. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're available in various forms, including pills, liquids, melting tablets, or nose sprays. Right. And the main side effects of histamine or antihistamines include dry mouth, drowsiness, dizziness, nausea, vomiting. It can cause some children to be restless or moody. It can cause people to have trouble urinating or not being able to urinate. That's not a good one. Hmm. No. And even blurred vision and confusion. Yes. So that's one of those drugs that you shouldn't operate heavy equipment while you're taking it. Right. And that does include Benadryl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So then remember we talked about those mast cells earlier, the white blood cells that are triggered by the antibodies? Correct. So they have drugs that are called mast cell stabilizers. And these actually keep your body from releasing histamine. Hmm. So this can help with things like itchy, watery eyes or an itchy, runny nose, and they're available as eye drops or nose sprays and can even be used in nebulizers. But again, like all drugs, they have a number of side effects, and these include coughing, runny nose, throat irritation, an unpleasant taste in the mouth, and headaches. Hmm. Yeah, so you're sacrificing some comfort and you're going to have some discomfort if you're going to try and use those. In some cases, it might be smart to do, but people get too reliant on them. Yeah. I mean, they're okay for short term if it's, you know, a real acute type of situation. But, you know, there's also alternatives that we're going to go over in a little bit too. That's right. Yeah. So let me go through the rest of these anti-allergy medications. Of course, there's also decongestants. And what they do is they reduce nasal stuffiness by shrinking swollen membranes in the nose. Okay. But the problem with these is that When you use these sprays for more than three days in a row, they can cause the swelling and stuffiness in your nose to actually get worse. (laughs) And this can even happen after you stop using the medication. So they call this a rebound reaction. Hmm. So again, you only want to use them for maybe one or two days. Okay. And then there's corticosteroid creams or ointments, and those are used to relieve itchiness and stop the spread of rashes. Mm Mm-hmm. But if your rash doesn't go away after using this cream for a week, you should definitely see your doctor. Right. And then, of course, there's oral corticosteroids, which are a much stronger medication and can cause serious side effects. So they need to be carefully monitored by your doctor while you're taking them. Right. And their purpose is to reduce swelling and stop severe allergic reactions. Yeah, which in some cases is necessary. Yep. And then finally, there's epinephrine. And this comes in a pre-measured and self-injectable device such as an EpiPen. Mm -hmm. This is the gold standard medication to give to someone who's having a life-threatening anaphylactic allergic reaction. And in order for it to work, the shot must be given within minutes of the first sign of a serious allergic reaction, whether it's a reaction to food, stinging insects, latex, or drugs. Mm -hmm. 
So this kind of reminds me of the overdose scene in Pulp Fiction where right. Uma Thurman received the epi shot into the heart from John Travolta. Yeah. Well, that was for a whole different reason. Yeah. So in real life, the proper drug to handle the, this was actually an opiate overdose. It was cocaine. Mm-hmm. The real drug that they would use is called Narcan and it's either injected into muscle or sprayed into the nose. So it wouldn't be injected into the heart. Yeah. But that wouldn't have made as good a scene. Of course not. Yeah. That was like, whoa, shocking. Yeah, I was, whew. Another medical approach is called immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. And there's actually two types. There's allergy shots and sublingual immunotherapy. So we're going to cover allergy shots next. Uh, so now let's look at sublingual immunotherapy, also known as SLIT. Okay. This involves patients receiving a small dose of an allergen under the tongue which is designed to improve tolerance to the substance and reduce symptoms. Sure, okay. sounds like, sure sounds like something else, doesn't it? Homeopathy. Yeah, exactly. So slit tablets or drops are currently only approved and available for dust mites, northern pasture grasses like timothy and ragweed. Hmm. Okay. Uh, there are none yet for food allergies, but studies are being performed to determine safety and effectiveness for them. Okay, great. Yeah, and this appears to be a promising approach and is even recommended by Dr. Joseph Mercola. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So you mentioned allergy shots before, and I had those when I was a kid. Remember, dad used to do that. We had the little thing with the needle and the vial, and yeah, that was fun. So I want to find out what are they supposed to do and are they in any way effective? Because in my case, it sure didn't seem to make much difference, even though I had them for years. That's a, it's a great question because I went into this thinking, yeah, these things don't work. They've been around for a long time. And, you mm-hmm. know, but I was surprised when I got the data on it. Okay. So allergy shots are designed for some people with allergies to pollen, pets, dust, bees, or other stinging insects, as well as asthma. Mm -hmm. They don't usually work for allergies to food, medicines, feathers, or for hives or eczema, so they're definitely limited. They may be more risky for people with heart or lung disease or who take certain medications. Okay. So allergy shots involve giving injections of allergens in an increasing dose over time. Mm -hmm. They're not a cure, but the hope is that the person over time will become progressively less sensitive to that allergen producing fewer symptoms. Hmm. And again, during that time, the hope is that your allergy symptoms will get better and possibly go away. But if your symptoms don't improve after a year of shots, then it's time to talk with your doctor about other treatment options. Okay. So looking through all the typical medical references like Mayo Clinic, WebMD.com, Healthline.com, and other medical journal articles, the consensus is that allergy immunotherapy, which is either done by shots or by sublingual tablets or drops, is actually very effective, long-lasting, and with very few side effects, especially when compared to over-the-counter and prescribed medications. Hmm. And in addition, they lessen the need to take allergy medications and improve the quality of life. Okay. So, you know, I couldn't find any studies showing precise statistical effectiveness of allergy shot therapies, except for one from February of 2016, showing allergy shots helping baby boomers or more specifically, a group of 60 people between the ages of 65 and 75 who received allergy shots for three years. Hmm. The group that received the allergy shots had a 55% reduction in symptoms compared to the placebo group, 
plus had a 64% decrease in the amount of medication needed for relief of symptoms. Oh, okay. Yeah. So overall, you know, it looks like it's okay to do. Obviously, you know, there may be some side effects and we're going to talk about alternative treatments that for those who would like to do alternative stuff, it may work just as good, if not better. Okay. Well, probably when I had those done 15 or 20 years ago as a little kid, they weren't as effective as they are these days. All right. So let's talk about some of the alternative treatments that are out there that can be effective for allergy symptoms. Good. All right. Let's start with some natural remedies. So first one I like is quercetin. Uh, This is a bioflavonoid and part of the vitamin C complex and is an outstanding natural antihistamine and anti-inflammatory. And people can get it just on its own? Yes. Okay. Then there's butter burr. This is taken in extract form, especially what's called ZE399. And this has been shown in some studies to be at least as effective as antihistamine medications in relieving runny nose and congestion. Hmm. But just make sure that you take butter burr that has been processed into an extract, again, preferably ZE399, because it contains compounds that can damage the liver when it's taken in its naturally occurring form. Mm. And if you remember, we also found that butter burr has been found to be helpful for migraine headaches. It reduces the inflammation that triggers them and is a natural beta blocker, which normalizes blood flow to the brain. Oh, I didn't remember that. That was in our headache episode. Okay. Way, way back. That was like number two or three. I know. It was way back. Okay. Okay. And then we got bromelain. Uh, This is an enzyme found in pineapple. And not only is it a good anti-inflammatory, but it's also been found to reduce nasal swelling and thin out mucus. So what do you put some pineapple up your nose? And- no. no, you take it as a supplement. Okay. Yeah. Vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Studies have shown that taking 2000 milligrams a day can reduce histamine levels by up to 40%. Wow. Yeah. And I would highly recommend taking vitamin C along with a complete bioflavonoid complex to, so that you get your quercetin also kill two birds with one stone. Good point. Yeah. And of course, there's bee pollen. Yes, that's right. A type of pollen of all things. Mm -hmm. In addition to being antifungal, antimicrobial, and antiviral, and even beneficial against cancer, it's also an anti-inflammatory and an antihistamine. Hmm. Amazing. And then one of our favorites, apple cider vinegar. Right. This has antibacterial and anti-inflammatory properties and is also a great natural remedy for allergies. So I recommend taking it with some lemon juice, unsweetened cranberry juice. And if you want a nice immune boost and a remedy for a sore throat, then add ginger, garlic, and either maple syrup or honey to it. Mm, Okay. Good stuff. Spirulina, which is a type of blue-green algae, is an effective remedy for hay fever, according to a 2015 study. Oh. Yeah. And then the essential oils, peppermint, eucalyptus, and frankincense have all been found to be very effective allergy remedies too. Oh, there's quite a few different possible alternative remedies for allergies. Yeah. And along those lines, we can talk about homeopathy. This approach is very similar to the sublingual immunotherapy medical approach I just spoke of earlier, since it involves taking a small dose of something to improve tolerance to the substance and to reduce the symptoms. Now, I won't go into detail on this because we'll be doing an upcoming podcast on homeopathy, but... Yeah, I think we're doing that right after Thanksgiving. Cool. 
The fact is that there are many effective homeopathic remedies which are available at your local health food store online or you know, through your natural health practitioner that are excellent for reducing allergy symptoms. Right. For example, there are about nine basic homeopathic remedies good for hay fever, each one handling specific symptoms associated with it. Hmm. Yeah, and there are also several what are called constitutional homeopathic remedies, which focus on treating the person as a whole, taking into account the person's past and present symptoms. And this is excellent for chronic and long-term health problems. That's great. Yeah. Now, I mentioned earlier we were going to talk about the elimination and rotation diets. Mm-hmm. I love these. I've recommended them for years uh, for people with food allergies and sensitivities. And the reason is, is because it accomplishes two things. First is you eliminate the most common allergic foods like nuts, corn, soy, dairy, citrus fruits, and so forth. And then one by one, you reintroduce them and pay close attention to which ones cause symptoms. It's a good approach. Yeah. So this can also be a fairly accurate way of diagnosing food allergies without going through the expense of the blood tests. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it works great as long as the allergies are true allergies their sensitivities instead of true allergies. They're the tricky ones because they can take days to occur, making it really difficult to determine which foods you're truly sensitive to. Right. So essentially, this diet can be used two ways. Without having your blood tested for allergies and sensitivities, you can do this, you know, the elimination step and then reintroduce the foods one by one, noticing which ones produce allergy symptoms. Okay. Or the more accurate way is to find out which foods you're absolutely allergic to and eliminate them altogether. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the ones which test it out as sensitivities, you eliminate these for three to six months and then reintroduce each of these back again, noticing then if there are any symptoms associated with them. Okay. Yeah. Really sound strategic way of handling things. I'm going to go over an example in a little bit. All right. Good. Good. So let's move on to any effective alternative treatments that help in eliminating allergies. Yeah. So there's really two ways to do this. You, first of all, eliminate the allergy sources Mm -hmm. and then modify how the body responds to allergies Okay. or allergens in particular. So the first step in eliminating allergy sources is to first accurately identify what you're allergic or sensitive to. Mm Mm-hmm. So your options are, again, a traditional skin prick test, which again is quick and cost effective, but it can be pretty uncomfortable and not necessarily accurate. Right. Muscle response testing, which is also quick and inexpensive, but is dependent on the accuracy of the practitioner testing you. Correct. And the blood tests, these are by far the most accurate since they not only identify what you're allergic to, but many of the tests tell you the exact number of antibodies produced so that you know exactly how allergic you are to the substance, whether That's it's mild. Tip. Yeah, it could be mild, medium, or severe. Hmm. I wanted to go over a couple examples of this. Okay. So, I don't know, maybe about 20 years ago, I started developing this allergy. Every time I ate pizza, I'd get this like ridiculous sensation in my chest, like it felt like I was choking and it felt like I had a knife in there. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah, it was almost anaphylactic. I'd be out in a restaurant and I'd get this reaction. I'm like, oh my God, I'm allergic to pizza. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So I finally did my first test for allergies uh, through the blood work. And I had some sensitivities and I had some true allergies. And one of the true allergies happened to be mushrooms. Mm. And I thought about it. I'm like, 
oh my God, every time I ordered pizza, I always had mushrooms on it. Oh. So I was so like relieved because that night I went to a local pizza place. I called up ahead of time. I ordered it was takeout and I didn't even leave the place. I just started eating like three, four pieces of pizza, like my life depended on I'm jumping up and down, cheering and everybody's looking at me like, what's his problem? Yep. So I've been able to eat uh, pizza ever since, but I still cannot have mushrooms at all. And that probably explains why I was allergic to penicillin because penicillin is from a fungus mm-hmm. and a mushroom is a fungus. Right. Yeah. And then of course there's mom. I had her tested for allergies because she was real sensitive to a lot of things. And one of the tests had over 120 different allergies hmm. and she tested positive for over a hundred. Oh, good grief. I know it was amazing. And so what I did first was I put her on a program to help with her leaky gut. And it was really interesting because afterwards I retested, I sent the lab work out again and she only tested positive for about 20 different things. Wow. Yeah. So again, you know, if your gut is leaky and these food particles get in there, it can create allergic responses and sensitivity responses. So healing that gut lining allows fully digested food to go where it's supposed to go and and it tends to not be as big of an issue. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So another thing that I recommend is what's called the Triad Air Air Purifier System. And they spell air, A-E-R. Okay. This used to be the fresh air system by EcoQuest, those big brown, you know, Mm -hmm. wood boxes and so forth. So this device is unique because it uses three different purification technologies. Okay. Uh, It generates a continuous stream of millions of negative ions that circulate throughout the home. And what these ions do is they charge particles such as dust, pet dander, or bacteria causing them to attract other particles and clump together. Mm -hmm. And as more and more particles come together, they become heavier, making them easier to pull into the home's air conditioner, air filter, or just fall to the floor to be vacuumed up. Okay. Unlike HEPA filters that can only filter out particles of 0.5 microns or larger, the ionizer in the triad air can reduce ultrafine even nanoparticles that are much more dangerous than the larger particles you can actually see. Hmm. Yeah. I have this device in my office and its predecessor, the fresh air system by EcoQuest in my house. I'm sure you've smelled it there. It looks, it smells like um, ozone. Mm -hmm. They also make a small portable unit called the mini air, which also pumps out ozone and reduces odors, mold, bacteria, viruses, and allergens. And I always take this with me when I travel and stay in hotel and motel rooms, which are notorious for being moldy and smelly. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And in Florida, you know, if you're sensitive to mold, I recommend replacing carpet with tile, wood, vinyl, bamboo, or laminate flooring. And I'm sure as a real estate agent, you've come across that quite a bit. I don't see carpet almost in any homes anymore. Exactly. And the reason for this is because of the high humidity and moisture, which increases the risk of mold in Florida. And believe it or not, carpet dirt is also a very significant source of mold. Which is? Carpet dirt. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So while we're still on the subject of mold, a lot of hidden allergies are due to undetected mold exposure. And two of my patients, a husband and wife, run an outstanding mold detection and elimination business called Mold Zero. Hmm. Their eco-friendly process involves taking an air sample from inside your home and sending it to an independent accredited lab to test for total mold contents plus the types of mold found in the sample. 
And once this is determined, they treat the home with a two-step process. First of all, they use a dry fog agent, which is an EPA-approved cold sterilant that eliminates all existing mold in your home in just hours, making it safe to inhabit again immediately. That's great. Yeah. And you know, the nice thing about this is there's no demolition required. So in other words, traditional approaches usually require the tearing out of materials like drywall or wood or flooring, and then they have to be rebuilt, whereas this approach doesn't require any of that hassle. Wow. Yeah. It's really impressive. And secondly, they use a microbiological barrier to all surfaces of the home to help prevent any future mold growth from occurring. And this is backed up by a warranty. Wow. That's pretty good. I know. So I'm here to promote them. Um, You can find them online at moldzero.com or you can call 844-665-3937. I know several people that have used them that are very happy with their work and we'll definitely leave a link uh, to them in our podcast notes. Definitely. Yeah. So another thing that's good for helping eliminate allergies is a technique called NAET. Mm-hmm. And this stands for Nambudrapod Allergy Elimination Technique, named after the doctor who founded it. Okay. And what this is, it's a natural, drugless, painless, and non-invasive method that can be used safely on individuals of any age and regardless of the individual's health to alleviate the symptoms arising from allergens. Okay. Are you going to tell us more about it? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is that the allergens are cleared one at a time with this technique, and normally only one item is treated on a given day. And in most cases, it only takes one session to alleviate an allergy. Wow. Yeah. So after identifying the allergen, the patient holds a test vial with the allergen that they tested weak for via muscle response testing while the practitioner taps acupressure points throughout the body to balance their energy channels as well as around the spine to stimulate the central nervous system. Okay. Because those are the areas of the body that get thrown out of balance when you're exposed to these substances. Right. And so then the patient is then instructed to avoid the substance for at least 25 hours in order to receive the maximum benefit from the procedure. And in some cases, acupuncture is used instead of acupressure for quicker results. I do a modified version of this procedure and have been doing it for nearly 20 years with excellent results. Hmm. Uh, You know, I've seen certain allergens completely cleared with no return of symptoms when exposed to them again. But of course, NAET has their hands tied as far as making cure claims. So on their website, they make it clear that NAET does not claim to cure allergies or food chemical and environmental sensitivities. Right. Well, it balances the body or balances imbalances in the body. And as a result of that, people may experience something like an allergy going away, but you're not necessarily curing an allergy by doing it. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're making it so that when you're exposed to it, the next time you don't have those horrific reactions anymore. Absolutely. Like like for example, I remember I had a friend come over with his wife and this was back in Fort Myers when I had the cats. And she just, I mean, she couldn't stay for more than 20 minutes. She, she just had hay fever and, you know, everything was, her eyes were watering. It was, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. So I had her come to my office. I only did one treatment on her and then she was able to come back to my house and had zero problems after That's that. That's great. Yeah. And then the final thing I wanted to talk about is something called provocation neutralization. Okay. This is recommended by Dr. Joseph Mercola. It's actually a technique that he has used successfully in his clinics. Hmm. 
Yeah, and the, the, pro, the program works well for traditional allergies like trees, uh, grasses, dust, and weeds, as well as food and environmental allergies. And it has a success rate in the 80 to 90% range, and patients can receive their treatments at home. Wow. Yeah, so what it involves is injecting a small amount of an allergen under your skin to produce a small bump called a wheel, W-H-E-A-L. Mm-hmm. And then this is monitored for a reaction. If you have a positive reaction, such as fatigue, headache, or a growth in the wheel, then the allergen is neutralized with diluted injections or drops that go in your mouth of the same allergen. Huh. Yeah. So Dr. McCullough claims that this is a long-term solution that will, in most cases, provide a permanent treatment, plus there are virtually no side effects with this, unlike conventional allergy drugs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's tons of things out there that work for this. That's very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, now that gives people some more information about the topic of allergies, and it also gives them some options to look into too, which is great. So before we end, is there anything else you'd like to say about this topic? It looks like we've got it all covered this time. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for all that information. That's very helpful. I went through a lot of issues with allergies as a kid. I had the skin tests, which were annoying, and then I had the shots that were annoying, and none of them seemed to do much of anything. I fortunately did get to a point where I didn't have all those allergies, which is really great. So it's good to understand it a little bit better, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who can benefit from this. Now, next week, we're going to talk about viral versus bacterial because there is a difference between the two of them. And it's important to know, especially with things like lung conditions or respiratory conditions. And we're going to go into a little bit more depth on that to give people a better understanding and also so they can understand what things aren't going to work in one case that might work in the other. So that's next week, and we'll talk then. All righty. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.